In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The lessons for the third Sunday after Trinity share the theme, the theme of pursuit. In the Gospel, Jesus said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness to pursue, to seek after that which is lost until he finds it? And this illustrates God's love for the lost, as Jesus said. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The epistle tells us about a more ominous pursuer. St. Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are accomplished by your brethren in the world. Both pursuers seek people they lost. The good shepherd pursues people who have drifted away from faith and faithfulness to bring them back to the Father's house. The devil pursues people who have left his dominion. <clears throat> Colossians 1.13 tells us that God the Father has delivered us from the kingdom, the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. The devil wants to reverse that process. It's likely that St. Peter got his image of the devil walking about like a roaring lion from the book of Job. Job chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 and Job chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 both relate these words. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Walking back and forth on it suggests walks about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The object of his appetite are God's people. The devil looks for a <clears throat> a weakness in the faith of God's people that gives him an opportunity to attack. Job is a disturbing story because God prompts Satan to test Job. However, like it or not, that is the standard biblical pattern. God created Adam and Eve in his image in the garden. Then he placed them in the garden along with a forbidden tree and a serpent a test, and a tester. God saved Israel through the Red Sea waters, then sent the people into the wilderness to be tested. The temptation of Jesus in the wilderness in the New Testament clearly reveals the identity of Israel's tester and also reveals that it is the vocation of God's servant to be faithful through the test. St. Peter says the devil is looking for someone to devour. 
To devour means to use people for one's own purposes without regard for their good. Evil is characterized by what psychology refers to as the narcissistically functioning person, the overt manipulator. However, narcissism exists on a spectrum. Its seed and root is in all of us. It is the condition of sin. The seed is evident, for example, when we give something in order to receive praise or recognition. Such giving results from an interior need and not from the fullness we experience in Christ. This is the kind of motive the devil seizes on. We feel underappreciated or undervalued. We become resentful and bitter. The devil offers us a path for revenge and vindication and makes us feel entitled to it. However, when we bite on the offer, we end up feeling guilty, ashamed, and afraid, hiding from God, just like Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. Evil's use of others for its own end stands in contrast with Christ, who gives himself for us. As Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Christ heals our wounds and fills our emptiness. We no longer have to take from others because we are empty. We can begin to give to others because we are full. In the kingdom of God, there is enough for everyone. Christ generously gives unique gifts and graces to each member of his body. Ephesians describes the church as the fullness of him who fills all in all. In Christ, we discover that when we give freely, we always end up with more. In contrast, the devil's temptations center on his zero-sum game. The good of each person subtracts from the good of every other person, and everybody is in competition for the scarce resource of the good. Everyone takes, but no one is ever satisfied or full. We become vulnerable to the devil's tests when we become discontented. Discontentment is wounded pride. We feel slighted. We did not get something we wanted or deserved. Or we got something we didn't want and didn't deserve. We've begun to compete with others, and we're mad that we are losing. We develop grievances and complaints. We combat pride by the practice of humility. St. Peter writes, all of you be submissive 
one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Being submissive to one another means working for one another's good and for the larger good of the community and not just for my own personal good. Humility produces contentment. We cultivate contentment by looking for Christ in all things. When we lack something, contentment seeks the manna of spiritual growth in the wilderness. When we have all we need in this world, contentment holds it very loosely, practicing thanksgiving and generosity in giving. Contentment does not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, and the things which are not seen are eternal. 2 Corinthians 4.18 Humility and contentment are cultivated through prayer, not just occasional prayer in times of emergency or crisis, but the life of prayer. As Colossians 4.2 says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. We are watchful in prayer for what Ephesians refers to as the wiles of the devil. Wiles are cunning arts and deceits. And we fall prey to these when our attention is diverted away from Christ and his work in our lives. We stop looking up and we develop a more horizontal focus. The contentment, joy, and peace that flow from our vision of God and from our awareness of his work in our lives. This gives way to the competition, anxiety, and fear that result from a focus on other people and other things. The kind of prayer that enables us to endure our tests holds on to Christ come what may. It doesn't always feel good. Job wrestled with God and challenged God, but Job never abandoned his prayer. David wrote and prayed the Psalms during his trial. He expressed his honest feelings and complained to God, but these were all part of his ceaseless prayer and his enduring trust that God would rescue him and vindicate him. Sometimes we stumble in times of trial. We do or say things we regret. We experience a sense of distance from God. It is then that the good shepherd leaves the ninety and nine again to pursue us and carry us back to the fold through a new experience of repentance and grace. And there is joy in heaven again. As Jesus said in John 10, 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish 
neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Therefore, as St. Peter exhorts us, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. And may the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.